don't know whether to preach or talk to you yet. Hallelujah. There's just, there's just so much going on in my spirit. And it starts all bumping together in there in a minute or two. And, and then you're just not sure which way to go. Um, <clears throat> I do want to share with you something. Uh, this is a, uh, a little testimony of what something that happened to us this week. When we're talking about good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And the Bible says if you'll be faithful, God will cause even men to give into your bosom. And uh, I want to share this with you just because it's, a, it's a, a, a one of those examples from our life this week. We were at the store, and we'd gone to back to school night and got the kids' list, and we're at the store, and we're buying all those things that you have to have, pencils and pens and paper and folders and all that stuff for kids to go back to school. And, and uh, my neighbor uh, has a little boy that... Uh, plays with my boys and they go over in there and they play Wii together. Y'all know what that is. And uh, the video games and so on. And he come up to me and he says, Pastor, he goes, I want to bless you and I want to bless the boys. This is my giving. I want to give to the boys uh, because they're such a blessing to our life. And uh, he said, I want you to put this toward their school supplies. And he handed me $50 just to buy school supplies for the boys. Well, we were spending hundred, so that was what a blessing that was, you know. But I but the word says that he'll cause men to give into your bosom. He'll cause men to give into your life. And uh I, I said I said, Oh, I thought my boys are driving you crazy. There there one one day we got up and the boys ran out the door first thing in the morning and we're like, wait a minute, where'd they go? Eight thirty in the morning, they're knocking on the neighbor's door. <laughs> Can they play we? Can they play we? Come on. <laughs> And I had to say, no, 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 you don't go knock on the neighbor's, the neighbor's door at 8.30 in the morning. But he said, oh, they're such a blessing to my son and to our life, and, and we're loving on them. And, and because, you know, God is faithful. And so he does little things like that along the way just to remind you that he's faithful, just to show you how faithful he is. And so it gave us a wonderful opportunity to ask the Lord to bless our neighbor. He's a good man and loves Jesus. And, and uh, <clears throat> when we moved in next door to him, he heard that there was a pastor moving in and and uh, when he found out we were Pentecostal, we were full of the Spirit, he said, oh, I was so glad I was praying that I wasn't going to live next door to the Baptist. <laughs> I don't know. I think living next door to Baptist people are great, but, I, but he was glad there was Pentecostal people living next door. So, so I guess that was good because he wanted to know that he could, come and get, he could come and get prayer if he needed. He goes out in his backyard with his guitar and he sits under his gazebo and he worships the Lord and and we get to hear that beautiful worship coming over the fence. And, and, and what a way to live. Amen? So hallelujah. Anyway, I just wanted to share that little testimony with you. Um, hallelujah. God is good. He is precious. Um, I, I, do, I do want to just say again, uh, um, there, there is a season of prayer on Saturday evening. We meet at 630 there was, I don't know, seven, eight people here last night, uh, whatever it was. And, um, and I want to encourage you. I know what's happening. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to the Holy Spirit right here. I know what's happening in your prayer life. And I hear the Lord speaking to me that what happens is like I described a few minutes ago in worship. You, you begin to pray and you get to a certain point and then you don't know what to do from there. But prayer... Is like flexing any spiritual muscle. You, you need to practice prayer. That means get your list, get prayed through it, get that, get, get that over with. Get the confidence in the Lord that he knows what you have need of even before you ask. And then go ask. 
do that. I would never tell you not to ask God for the things that you need. But there is a place that you come in prayer that you transition and you begin to have a heart for the needs of others. Those folks that come on Saturday night, they spend a great portion of that time asking God to move in this moment from 10 o'clock when we gather here on Sunday morning. They spend more of their time praying for you than they do for them. And God begins to release into their life blessing because they're invested in you. They're invested in what's going on in your life. They pray for your healing. They pray for your heart to be free in the presence of the Lord. They pray for your worship to be free in the presence of the Lord. They pray for God to show up when you gather together. And so I just want to encourage you to begin to participate in that, in that time of prayer. We usually meet for about an hour, um, hour to an hour and 15 minutes. And I want to encourage you, we come in the front doors and go right down that hall to the last room on the left, and we pray together. And so I just wanted to uh, encourage you. And if you are hitting a wall in prayer, or more, I think more so than that, when people determine that they're going to pray, every distraction comes up. And so they never get to that prayer time. Oh, at the end of the day, head hits a pillow, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. When I got up this morning, I committed to pray. Oh, well, maybe tomorrow. And the enemy is robbing you of that communion time with the Lord because you're, you're the busyness of your life. Well, if you set a, time, set a time aside and you say, I'm going to go to prayer. I'm going to turn off my phone and I'm going to go pray with other believers. Then there's no distraction. And so I just want to encourage you in that regard, okay? Hallelujah. How about starting to preach when I should be done? God has met with us today. It has been wonderful to be in his presence and to see him move in the lives of others and to have a prayer time up here around the altar and all of that. I want to share just a couple things with the word, from the word. Um, I always get this word from the Lord for Sunday. And he gives me like this one little line. How many, how many know nobody preaches for 45 minutes on one little line? And, and how many know I seldom ever speak under 45 minutes or so? But the Lord gives me this one little line, and, and in my insecurity, I run in the office and I say, Lord, that can't be all. And I, and I get more notes than I know what to do with, and then when I get here, the Lord deals with that one little line. So today we're going to deal with this one little line. We, we began to talk last, uh, last two weeks ago. How many enjoyed Sammy and Dorothy? Wasn't that wonderful? Amen. And they'll be with us again. Uh, I'll be so excited when they're able to come again. But... Uh, But anyway, before that, the week before that, we began to talk about love being the motivation for consecration. Hope came to me this morning and she said, you know what, Pastor, she is all of a sudden in my heart, I see that God is speaking this word about folks getting their life right. Well, that's part of consecration, that we we go before the Lord and we want to... um, to ask, to, to pray, or to worship, or to spend time in the presence of the Lord, and immediately, sometimes it's the enemy, and sometimes it's the Holy Spirit, and you, you need to discern which it is. If it's condemnation, it's the enemy, and if it's correction, it's the Holy Spirit. That's easy. How about that? If it's condemnation, it's from the enemy, and if it's correction, it's from the Holy Spirit. So sometimes uh, the, the enemy will jump up on our, our Children begin to whisper in our ear, you can't go before God. You got this mess and that mess and you did this and you did that and you disobeyed God here and you, and, and you got sin in your life there and all that. Well, that's condemnation. That's from the enemy. 
You need to put that down and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. My sin is forgiven. I have access to the Father because of what Jesus did on the cross. But when the Holy Spirit comes and says, I got something, Benjamin, I want to talk to you about. That's correction. Right? He does it. He does it quite regularly, doesn't he? He certainly does in my life. The Holy Spirit comes and he says, I got something I need to discuss with you. It's not condemnation, it's correction. It's let me make some adjustments. Let me help you adjust the way that you are living and the choices that you're making that, that are laying, to help you in laying aside of weight and sin that easily besets. Is that clear enough? So the Holy Spirit comes and he brings correction. But you know what we do? I'm going to tell you what we do. We start using the word on the Holy Spirit. He brings correction. Oh, no, there is therefore now no condemnation to them. No. Are you with me here? That don't fly in the face of the Holy Spirit. Because what happens is the Holy Spirit goes, okay, I'll let you walk that way. See how that works for you. I'll let, I'll let you go down that road. You want to push? I'll let you go down that road. See how that works for you. Come and let me know how that works out. And so we spend weeks, months, years, days, time, hours of our life walking in a direction that does not build our life up or put a foundation for success under our life or for strength under our life. And, and uh, we begin to just go down that road of foolishness and the Holy Spirit's standing in the same place. He, the last time he talked to you, he's standing right there waiting for you to come back to him and say, okay, I ain't working for me. But we want to, in those times and seasons when the Holy Spirit is saying, let me bring some correction and some direction into your life. We're like, there is therefore now, I'm not going to feel condemned about it. I'm just going to embrace my sin. Oh. I shouldn't have said that, huh? No, I'm just going to live this way. I'm not, I, no, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. No, there isn't condemnation to them that are in Christ. But the Holy Spirit will bring correction and adjustment to your life to help you walk in a way that is uplifting to you. God isn't... God, listen. Boy, are y'all with me? This good, good family instruction from the Holy Spirit this morning. The Bible says that God is holy, and we do need to understand that he is holy, and nothing that is, is outside of his holiness can get into his presence. If you were to go in there without the blood of Jesus applied to your life, you'd, you'd simply die. You understand that? You don't get into his presence without Jesus or death. That's scriptural. But the reason that God wants to work in our life doesn't have anything to do as much with holiness. As important as that is, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's, it's Jesus that gives us access to the Father. It's because You never get in there because of your own righteousness. You never get in there because you're good enough. You get in there because of Jesus. But what God is desiring is like the, is the love heart of the Father is looking at us and going, man, that road you're walking on, that decisions that you're making is going to bring forth unfruitfulness. The wages of sin is still death. The enemy still comes, the thief still comes to kill, steal, and destroy. 
So the father's standing there going, you're walking down a road and the end of that road brings destruction and frustration to you and I really would prefer you not go that way. Please don't go down that road. And that's the heart of the father that we're finding in scripture. And that's what we started talking about a couple weeks ago. And I want to bring something to you about that, that correction of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he loves us so he corrects us. How many understand that I know, I know when I'm standing here and I say correction to you, you think about the paddle. Because that's how mommy and daddy used to correct you. The strap. I hope they did. hope they didn't overdo that. I have a paddle. It's beautiful. Uh, my kids... My kids sat there with a highlighter and highlighted the whole thing in yellow. It's got scriptures all over it, and every one of their names is written on it. Madeline's Madeline's is on there twice. (laughs) And just so it would be ominous, just so it would be ominous, I drilled holes in it. It just has an ominous, it's far more ominous than, than than the discipline it actually produces. But that is not the only discipline that takes place in my house. When I say to my children, go clean your room, take out the trash, make your bed, brush your teeth, comb your hair, that's all disciplines. They're learning disciplines, work ethics. I asked, there was a man pouring some concrete at my house this week. And I got the boys up early when the concrete truck got there, and they're doing some work in the front of my house because we're having less grass, less hula hoeing, less mowing. We put some concrete out there. And so they're coming, they're pouring this concrete. And so I got the boys up, and they're out there, and they're watching this wonderful man of God finish this concrete. And I said, Josiah, do you want to learn to do that? And you know what he said to me? I don't want to sweat. <laughs> That's honest. I said, Oh, then you want an education. You want to be able to go and you want to be able to learn so that you can do something at a desk. (laughs) I don't want to sweat. (laughs) But it's all discipline. It's all discipline. So whenever we talk about the the, the Lord loving us so he disciplines us, then uh, we need to broaden our thinking so that we're not just thinking about the hammer coming down or the strap or however your mom or your dad used to discipline. I hope that your parents didn't discipline you in anger because that is, that is inappropriate. Usually the result of that is somewhat inappropriate. And when God got angry in the Old Testament, you remember Moses went in and said, no, please, God, wait, 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 no, no. If you're going to knock him out, knock me out too. And then God, the Bible says repeatedly that God would repent of his anger, meaning change his direction. God repents, not because he's done wrong, but because he changes course. That's what repentance is. And that was free. So I want, we, we looked two weeks ago in Revelation, uh, and we saw the heart of God uh, that, that in Revelation chapter 3, we won't turn to these, I'm going to go quickly here, and then I'm going to give you one little nugget from the Lord before we go today, okay? In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 19, the Lord says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Repent means change direction. 
Repent does, not, repent does not mean going to God and saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. That's not repentance. That doesn't really save anybody. Well, there you go. Look that one up in Scripture. We've, we've taught repentance incorrectly in this country. Repentance is not... Lord, forgive me of my sin. Now, you need to ask him to forgive you of your sin, or you need to acknowledge that, uh, the cross and the blood and the work of the cross and the forgiveness of sin. You need to acknowledge that in your life, but that's not repentance. Repentance is the changing of course. Repentance means that I was going the wrong way, and I turned around, and now I'm going the right way. Repentance means I was making poor decisions, and now I'm no longer making those decisions. I'm making good, strong, healthy decisions according to the word of God. That's repentance. So he says, um, whom I love, I rebuke. How many of you have felt the rebuke and the correction of the Lord and your response to that has been, oh, he loves me so much. <laughs> I know that when I paddle my boys, they're not thinking, oh, daddy loves me. But I have never one time paddled them that my heart wasn't involved in loving them enough to point them in the right direction in their life. So he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. The message Bible says in that same verse, the people I love, I call to account. I prod and correct and guide so that they will live at their best. That's what the heart of the Father is, so that you will live at your best. So he says, up on your feet then, about face, run after God. I love that. I love that. So um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 through 13 says this. And this is, this is our, our text. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 7. This is our text today. See, in closing. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, you guys are liking it. You're going to be like, oh, God, move every Sunday because then <laughs> pastor will only give us about seven minutes. Oh, God, move. So I'm, I'll teach you guys to pray. I'll just preach longer. You'll pray. Oh, God, move. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 7 says this. We've read this before a couple years back. I want to read this through and then we'll come back and talk about one line in this passage of scripture. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 says, Endure hard, hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who discipline us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. There you go, parents. I just released you to a place of freedom in the word. Did you hear that? No discipline this wasn't my little nugget, but I'll give it to you anyway. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. If you're disciplining your children, I remember one time I swatted Jesse, and he goes, that wasn't hard. I said, okay, let's do it again. 
Huh? He was being honest. We did it again. And I said, now, and then the second time I said, now, was that hard enough? Oh, yes, that was hard enough. Anyway. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. If you want your children to walk in a harvest of righteousness and peace, you better get the discipline moving in your home. Every one of the youth in here are going, oh my God, I saw it on your faces. <laughs> Discipline is not always pleasant, but it produces fruit. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Okay, so the first word in in the first few words in chapter 12 and verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. That's what I want to talk about for just like a few minutes. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. Fear not, I've overcome the world. Everybody in the earth goes through hard things. Not every time, the, the word did not say that every time there is hardship that it is God disciplining you. That's not what it said. It did not say that every time, and see, we get the perspective that every time something hard comes along, we're like, oh God, did I make you mad? Did I upset you, Father? Well, that's a good question to ask. Hey, I'm not telling you not to ask him. But it said, endure hardship as discipline. I want you to have biblical perspective, God's perspective on hardship. It's not every hardship that comes into your life that that he brings. Not every hardship. In fact, the, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But he said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So the majority of difficulty that comes into life is not because God brought it. Most of it we created ourselves. I have found that to be true. But the instruction from Scripture is when you are facing difficulty, endure hardness as discipline. In other words, take the perspective that I'm going to allow the difficulty that I am going through right now to produce disciplines. Look out, honey, every time we preach this stuff, we have to walk through it. You know, when you teach the word, you go home, and then you turn around, and you walk through stuff. But listen, to the, listen to, the, to the spirit of the Lord. When difficulty comes, you take the perspective, I'm going to walk through this as though it were discipline from the Lord. That doesn't mean just accept it. Don't be fatalist. Oh, God, here it comes again. Don't be that way. But whenever you're going through difficulty, get the perspective that I can allow this to produce fruit in my life or I can get a bad attitude about it. I can allow this to produce in my life something of quality or I can just have a terrible attitude and be mad at God. Do you know most people just get mad at God when things get hard? Most believers 
who've not disciplined themselves to a place of maturity, when things go wrong, they just, they just get mad at God. Or they think that God is mad at them. He ain't mad at you. He's not mad at you. But he does want to grow you up to a place of maturity. Every time I put a rake in my kid's hand or a hoe, I'm not mad at them. I want them to know how to work. I don't get mad at them very often at all. I discipline them far more often than I am ever upset with them. So he says, endure hardship as discipline. Get the perspective that this thing that I am walking through can produce the fruit of righteousness in my life. Are you with me? Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So when you're walking through a difficulty, you don't go to the Lord and say, what are you putting me through this for? You go to the Lord and you say, how can this this difficulty that I am walking through produce a harvest of righteousness in my life? How can this affect my attitude, my frame of mind? What is your perspective? God, I continually ask the Lord. Almost on a daily basis, I go through things and I say, Lord, what is your perspective on this moment right here? How do you view this moment? Especially if I'm in a situation where I don't know what to do. Almost inevitably, the first prayer I pray is, God, how do you see this moment? What's your perspective on this experience that I'm having right now? And I challenge you this morning, endure hardness as disciplined. Don't assume God's disciplining you. Let the Holy Spirit tell you that. But when you do go through difficult times, take the perspective that you're going to allow it to produce as if it were discipline. And then you will submit yourself to spiritual disciplines in that walk. That means, you know, some things that happen in life will drive you to your knees. Some things that happen in life will lay you on your face before God. I remember, you know, times I was handed a pink slip. Oh, God! I went to my knees. You go to the doctor and you get a bad report. You'll go to your knees. I remember when the phone rang and I was actually, I can remember the day I was changing the garbage disposal in my kitchen and the phone rang. And the message on the other line was that my father had terminal cancer cell phones, you answer the phone right where you're at. And right in front of my garbage disposal, I went to my knees. I'll never forget it. There are circumstances in life that will take you to your knees if you will let them. Will you let them? You can either let the circumstances of life take you into the presence of God and get his perspective on those moments or you can run in anger and frustration and rebellion or whatever, hurt, 
Endure hardness. That's an uplifting message. Endure hardness as discipline. God wants to get mileage in your personal maturing and development out of every moment of your life, if you'll allow it. If you'll allow it. So there. He loves you. He loves you. He doesn't discipline you in anger. He doesn't let things come into your life haphazardly. He knows what your tomorrow holds. I I can't tell you, unless the Lord speaks to me by word of knowledge or through prophetic expression, I can't tell you what your tomorrow holds. But if he chose to tell you, he'd tell you tonight. He knows the challenges that you're going to face. But you can decide in advance of those challenges the perspective that you will have on them. And it will change, it will revolutionize your life. And it'll revolutionize your walk with God if you'll take his perspective on your challenge. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we ask in the name of the Lord, I don't know why you chose this word for this day, but I know that there's individuals here and the challenges of their life are causing them to... um, to run in frustration or to back off or to, or, or to turn away or, or to have uh, some perspective that is not from you, I pray that you would give us your perspective on the challenges that we're facing and that we would be the kind of people that would mature to the place that we can walk in great disciplines as disciples of Jesus, as disciples of Christ. We will walk in the spiritual disciplines that produce maturity in the lives of believers because there's a harvest that we got to reap. We will walk in the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, so that we can be a mature people. And we give you praise for that in the name of Jesus. Let's stand together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.